You mentioned redeeming culture, so let's get into that. There was a book called uh, Bruchko by Bruce Olson. He, th- this kid, went out to these this group of Indians who who had never had never been reached, and uh, they were they were aggressive. Even the oil people had to be careful of them, stay away from them. They would attack anybody. And he he was a young kid. He he didn't get into the missionary group, so he just went on his own. Just threw himself out there. Almost died. Several times, but he he managed to start learning their language and and talk to them. But he was really a pretty ineffective missionary because he wasn't doing the campaigns and and making church and converting them into good Catholics or or Methodists or whatever group he came out of. He, he was just there living with them, and the only example he had was trying to learn their language and trying to speak to them, but. Uh, he began to see some of their customs. Um, at one point, one would dig a hole and shout into the hole, and one would climb the tree and shout at the sky. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? Oh, we're calling to God. And they had this, um, they had a, a, a cultural idea that they had betrayed God, and He had left them. And they, they had, they had these different ceremonies they did trying to reencounter God. And at one point, uh, they they said um, uh, God, God came from a banana stock or, or spoke to us from the banana stock. Like, what? One like this, and he cuts it, and it falls down, and then the, it starts to open up, and the leaves that were inside start to fold out. And it reminded the kid of the leaves of the Bible. He's like, I have God's banana stock. <laughs> he ah. start translating the Bible for him. But his friend ended up finally... Uh, encountering Jesus, he's like, um, or Bruce was telling him, uh, you remember how when I was scared to get in the hammock because I have the hammocks that's hanging hung way up high in the in the long in the dome, and you said you just have to get your you have to put your feet in. You can't sit there on the side; you're going to flip out. You, you, <laughs> you, you lay in the hammock, and then you're not scared anymore. So he's like, well, that's the way it is. You have to tie your hammock strings to Jesus. You, there's no halfway. And uh, and the the guy's like, well, how do I talk to Jesus? He's like, well, you've talked you talk to spirits, right? Okay, I think I think I know how. And when he came back uh, the, the next day, his you know face had changed. He was happier. He's like, Bruce, I found it. So he was able, and that guy was able to be a witness to his tribe, and he was the one who told them about Jesus because he could interpret it in their ways, and in his mind. There wasn't a white Jesus, and there wasn't a black Jesus, and there wasn't a Jewish Jesus. There was the the Jesus of his tribe that he had met, and he was able to to teach them. Jesus said, "I came to I didn't came, come to erase the law. I came to complete the law." And this was a law that God had had built for Moses and created for Himself a special people set apart from everything else. But I think that that works as an idea of the way God works with people that in in each culture there is something preserved of this need for God and a way to express it. And he's, he comes to the culture and he says, I have come to, not to erase your culture, but to complete that yearning in your heart that is expressed through everything that's true in your culture. And people today, they try to rescue their culture by Okay, we you know let's look back at these the magic rites and these different things that we did, but 
if they don't recapture the, the expression of that heart, because the, the prevailing culture today is, is an erasing culture. Like we said, it erases your identity. It comes into a group of people and it destroys their family relations. It destroys their, their cultural history. It, the, young, the young children are broken off from that and trying to find meaning in, in a great wide world without limits, which means there's no constraints, there's no path. It's just wandering around in circles, and they call it freedom. And it's, it's new and it's exciting, but it's destructive. And to, to re-encounter culture is to re-encounter that, that cry for meaning and significance and identity that's in the heart of the people and the way they express that together and the way that God completes that and reveals his truth to them as who they are before him. So if you're looking at that, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can look at there. If you're looking at it with the United States of America and how it started out as a, a, a nation, and you go back to the founding fathers, they tried to depict them as, <clears throat> as deists or that they weren't really Christian, uh, you know, uh, believers and founders, man. But if you if you study the real history of it, you find out. Wow, I don't know who's making this stuff. They're reading stuff <laughs> in. But when you know you read some of the things that are said, and George Washington may refer to divine providence. Well, if it's divine providence, that providence coming from only one place. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying if you read the writings that they they wrote to one another, you realize that these guys were not deists. They were not. Um, you know, whatever, a humanist or whatever, they were believers in Jesus Christ. They were human beings who weren't perfect. Mm -hmm. But the, so the culture of this nation was a founded on Christian values, Judeo-Christian principles. You, but then if you look at that, following it out into native cultures, and you see that every culture is a gift from God, right? Uh, like even Jew, the Jewish people, you know, before they became Jewish, the Hebrew people, you know, uh, man, they were, they was a Bedouin family. Of shepherds living out in the desert, you know they didn't really have no real culture. Maybe they had some Chaldean uh, influence there because that's where Abraham was from, you know. And uh, but several hundred years goes by, then they they're slaves in Egypt, so their only identity was slavery. But when God brings them out of Egypt and through Moses and the law and 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 a giving of that, then He begins to build the culture in them. He starts telling them, "Look, you guys need to. Your priests got to dress this way. They got to wear this robe with these colors and these, you know, uh, beads and and uh, uh, jewels on the front of them. You know, and he's got to wear your hat a certain way. You know, and, uh, and 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 He starts giving them a culture, and it becomes the Jewish culture that we know today." You know, the Hebrew culture. That it, so that, to me, it tells me that every culture is a gift from God. When God divided all the languages way back then, you know, he, wasn't, he didn't do that to destroy mankind. He did that to stop them from hurting themselves, from <laughs> stop them from making a mess of things. He got, did that to stop them from believing the lie that Satan was putting on them. You know, here's a side note for you. Look, once you believe one lie that Satan told you, it gets easier for him to lie to you again. And it gets easier and easier, so much so that eventually he can make the most ridiculous lie. And you still believe in it. And you look at some of the stuff that people are believing nowadays. Pretty ridiculous lies. But you don't listen to so many lies that, man, you believe anything that comes down the pipe. You know? And if you, if, you, if, you, if you harden your heart to the point that you become a refuse to see, a wouldn't see, it don't matter how much truth is out there because you're going to be going, you know, 
Oh, you know, plugging your ears and covering your eyes, and nah, 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 you know, whatever you're doing, you know, I don't know. But uh, see, culture is a gift from God. If you, there's many stories, and I, I just looked it up. I want to buy you a copy and me a copy because I used to have one, but I don't have it anymore. A fellow named Richard Twist, who was a Lakota guy who wrote this book called uh, Many, No, One Church, Many Tribes. And it was about his journey coming from the reservation and then becoming a Christian and them telling him he had to cut his hair and put a suit and a tie on. And he started trying to figure out, wait a minute, how come, you know, why did God make me an Indian? Why did God make me a Lakota man? And then I can't be one. Why is my culture any less, you know, than this culture over here? He said, how is one sin-stained culture any worse than another sin-stained culture? Both cultures are a gift from God. They just got sin stained. Yes. And that's where God comes in and he redeems mankind. He redeems the culture because he's wiping away the stain of sin Absolutely. in that culture in your life. That's like that first dream about the eagle. It can be personal. It can be for the native people. It can be for a nation. You see what I'm saying? And so when Jesus comes to wipe out the stain of sin, he's not just wiping it out in your life. He's wiping it out in the culture. Because if he's wiping it out in your life and you're part of the culture, then the culture has got to change because of Jesus inside of you. But it comes down to you, not just like you said, well, way back when it was okay to just go and do the Christian thing. You know, to go to church and, you know, and you sing the three hymns and the four herds and put a dollar in the bucket when it came by or whatever the case may be. Man, that didn't cut it because you was doing that in your own flesh. You wasn't doing that like what we prayed in the beginning under the guiding of the Holy Spirit. You wasn't letting him hold your hand and pull you through it. You wasn't following the play that the quarterback called. You see, if, you, if you're letting, if you're submitting your life, surrendering your heart, if man, when this gets changed, this starts working different and this starts behaving different. Yeah. If this ain't behaving different and this ain't thinking different, then this didn't get changed. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And maybe that's where it's got to come from. You want a culture to change? Then start right here and let God change this. I heard a great sermon this morning by a guy named Robert Morris. I don't know if you dudes ever hear him. He's a pretty cool teacher, dude. He's from Texas, got that kind of Texas way of, you know, still want. He said, won't. You know, but anyway. But he did this thing, man, about he started wondering, like, what does shoes mean in the Bible? Had to be the Holy Spirit to make him think that, because, you know, why would you think about shoes, right. you know? But he started thinking about it, and he realized that shoes, there's a, there's a, there's a part in Deuteronomy, and I wrote down the verse because I like this so much, that in, under the law, like, you know, if, if you died and then I was your brother, I was supposed to bury your old lady to keep your thing going. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And uh, that's why you better you better hope your brother married a good-looking woman. You know what I'm saying? Because, boy, she ugly and me, you in trouble. You, know, he, you better give your brother some good counsel. You know what I'm saying? He said, brother, I don't know about that girl, but you better, you know, because I'm next in line. Let's think this through. You know, but there's a thing in it. If the brother didn't want to marry the, the wife to keep the lineage going, she was to take off his shoe and spit in his face. Right, and then you get to the story of Ruth and Boaz, and and the other guy. I always wondered this myself too. Why, you know, the other guy said, "Oh, I can't do that. That'll mess up my inheritance." You know, and so he takes off his shoe and had it. Right. You know, and what I like is that Robert Morris pointed out that in Jewish culture, that taking off of the shoe was the surrendering of your right. She took off his shoe because he she took away his right. He, to fulfill what he was supposed to do. When the, when the other guy took his shoe off and handed it over to Boaz, he said, all right, I'm going to hand my rights to you. You go on, you get that girl. And everything that comes with her. 
All right, which is cool because then he takes it through to this, and I really like this part. You got to think this about, about this, man. When when Mo goes to the burning bush, what the burning bush say? First off, Mo said, uh, "Who are you, man?" And he says, "I am that I am." And Mo, take off your shoe, boy, because you on holy ground. I always wondered that, you know, that, that God does not want no man-made thing. Put them bare feet on the ones I made on the, in the holy ground, you know. But then you go forward to Joshua, and uh, Joshua meets the guy with the sword, you know. And uh, that Robert Morris guy is going all in there. He goes all kind of other cool places, but this is the part that stood out to me. Joshua goes, and, and he says, are you for us or for the other guys? And the other guy says, no. <laughs> no. And then the guy says, take off your shoes. Because you're in holy ground. Yeah. And you know, if you read the story, it's once he takes off his shoes that the angel of the Lord gives him the battle plan. And, it, and if you put it together, you start to realize it's the surrendering of your rights. Yeah. You give me your rights to be what you want to be and be what I want you to be. You start following the path that I've set you for and you put your hand to what I've called to put your hand to. Now, all of a sudden, we're going somewhere, and all of a sudden, cultures get changed, and lives get changed because you got changed. Yeah. You see? Dead to rights because we were we crucified with Christ and resurrected, but you don't get rights for resurrecting. You get rights for being born. So <laughs> where we are, rights are tied to a new kingdom now. Who, who, who gave us the rights in the United States of America? Was it Benjamin Franklin? Thomas Jefferson? George Washington? John Adams? They put the pen to the paper, <laughs> but even Thomas Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence said, "Is it inalienable, unalienable? They were they were not alienable, whatever they were. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and they did not come from government. They didn't come from Thomas Jefferson. They came from God. God set into motion this culture." The same as he said in the motion, the Hebrew culture, the same as he said in the motion, the native culture. That's why one of the things that bothers me most ever since I was a boy living on the Hoopa Indian Reservation, I never understood. I couldn't understand why the white folk always thought they was better than the red folk. First off, they weren't red, they're brown. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, I didn't, why is that? They're people just the same as me. And when I lived on a reservation as a boy, man, I began to learn all kind of beautiful things from them people. You know, I learned to climb the pine trees and get these big old pine cones and shake the pine nuts out and you could eat those things. You know, them are $14 a pound now. <laughs> Something like that in the story, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, I was a poor kid. I was poor when I, man, I was so poor when I was a boy, we didn't even use the order. We was just poor. <laughs> I was so poor when I was a kid. My dad used to take us to Kentucky Fried Chicken to lick other people's fingers. You know, so... <laughs> but, but the point, you know... There's, there's beauty in every one of those cultures. There's beauty in the United States of American culture. There's beauty even in Chinese culture. When those people over there, you know, the dictators over there trying to mess that up and rob those people of it. If it's being robbed from you, if fear is being used to control, then it ain't from God, it's from Satan. Because fear is his number one tool. Yeah. And it's a lie. You ever wonder David and Goliath? I'll let you jump in it, but I'm going to throw this one more time. We're way off the stage, but you got me going. What David and Goliath, you got this Goliath, this giant, nine foot something, however many cubits he was tall. Now, that you're that big, how come you got to have bronze shin plates and bra, you know, brass and a big old helmet? You got all this stuff trying to make yourself look bigger than what you already are. You're already big, man. You're already intimidating. And he got some other guy carrying his shield. 
You know, if I'm that guy, I'm going, boy, it's a big shield. I'm behind this thing. You're on your own out there, Jack, you know? <laughs> that let me know, you know what, that guy? That means he, he was a bluff. He himself was afraid, or he wouldn't have thought he needed all that armor. And you ever think about this? Look, he comes out there and glad goes to David. Boy, what am I, a dog? You send this boy out me with sticks and stones? Boy, I'm going to whoop your hide and feed you to the birds of the air today. And David looked at that giant and said, you uncircumcised Philistine. Now, if I'm the giant, I'm going, did you tell him? How's he know? You know? And David was going, giant, I got something you ain't got. Ha ha, look at that. You know? I got a, I got a bobbed off one, boy. I've got a covenant with the most high, and I'm going to feed your bones to the birds of the air, and I'm going to lop off your head. But before that, the giant says, hey, for 40 days, he yells at him and says, send your best man out to fight me. And if he wins, we'll serve you. But if I win, we will rule over you. Jump back several pages. Get back into Genesis, Cain and Abel. And God comes out and says, Cain, why the long face, boy? Why the long face? Boy, don't you know that if you choose right, all will be well with you? But son, if you don't, sin lies at your door and its desire is to rule over you. The same thing that giant said. He came at him trying to project fear onto David. He came at him trying to be a bluff, trying to look even bigger than he already was because he was already afraid himself or he wouldn't have needed all that armor. But David knew who he was because of his covenant with God, his contract with God, because of who he was in the culture that God gave him. And that boy went out with that sling, ran at that giant, ran towards the battle, not from it. I love that attitude. You know, I'm old and fat, but I, and I'm not going to run fast <laughs> as I was, but I'll still run at you, you know? <laughs> and he ran at that boy, and he let that thing, he let that rock go. And it wasn't Dave's good shooting. It was that God got behind the rock. Because he said, today, I'm going to deliver your enemies into your hand. And you look at that, look at that picture, okay? He said, send your best man to fight me. If sin said, send your best man to fight me. God said, look at here, boy. I'm going to sell that little runt of a shepherd boy out there, and I'm going to paint a picture. I'm going to talk in a picture again. He said, because 2,000, however many thousand from David, he said, I'm going to send my best man to fight sin. Because Jesus said, I come to destroy the works of Satan, which is sin. If you think about that for a minute, that shows you that God wasn't pissed off at you and me. God so loved the world. John 17, that he didn't send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world. God was pissed off at sin. God was pissed off at what sin was doing to the cultures that he created to be a gift to the people. God said, I've had enough. I'm going Popeye on them. I've had all I can stand. I can't stand no more. You know? And I'm a, my son, I'm going to send my best man. My best man down there. I'm a, he's going to face down there. You're going to shake him down. And when he comes off that cramp, he's going to kick the gates of hell open and say, I'll have the keys, Lucy. Mm. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's why when I get tormented and trouble, because I'm telling you right now, the thoughts do come to my mind. 
Sometimes I get dreams that I don't like, and you know I've learned, hey, wait a minute, this ain't a dream from God. Let me get out this dream. I don't always get out as fast as I'd like to. You know, there's things in my life that when I think it, I know God that ain't from you, and I know I'm gonna let that through here, and I shouldn't have let that wander through. And God forgive me, cleanse me, and change me, then deliver me for your great purpose. Cause I'm a human being and I need your intercession for me every day. So that I can walk through the culture that you put me in, so that I can be a change in that culture, even a subculture like being a biker. But you can walk being a biker and follow Jesus Christ in it and bring change to those who God puts in your path. You see what I'm saying? And if ever Satan come to me, I started when I recognize his voice, I'm like, oh, no, you don't, Satan. I said, don't make me tell my big brother on you. Because if you do, if I do, he's going to rattle them keys in your ears. Yeah. He said, remember when I took these from you, boy? You want some more of this? You know, I ain't got to deal with you, Satan. You finna deal with my, and I love that was that thing I just saw recently. You gonna you finna deal with the man on the middle cross. Because <laughs> yeah. he whooped you from that cross, you know. He gave me the gift of who I am. I'm an adopted son of God. I'm adopted son of the king. You realize that you're Danaina, Katnutana, Danaina, Athabascan Indian. But as an adopted son, that makes you also part Jewish. So you a Native American and Jewish. That makes you a bargain hunter-gatherer. No. <laughs> <laughs> and there's so much division even there with that because we talk about how many thousands of cultures there are and the different races of people. But in the Bible, it doesn't talk about color. It doesn't. There's only two races of people, which is God's seed and Satan's seed. That's the only two. There's a war between good and evil. And so there's God's seed people, which was Israelite. Right, son, and, and then the Gentiles. But there wasn't like a black culture, a white culture, a red culture, and a yellow culture. Not even in Roman times. Yeah. No, not even in Roman times. The, in, in some ways, the Jewish culture was created backwards because God codified it and then said, now, in this list of laws, come to me with your heart. Whereas what, what we tend to do is we tend to have the, the heart for something, the heart for a great nation of free people, or the heart for a great move of God. And when we begin to create that, then we codify it. But what happens when you codify it is you start to look at the, the laws and the rules, and soon in the church, they're preaching hellfire. They're preaching fear. They're aligning themselves with the enemy because their goal is to keep people in the church because they're afraid mm -hmm. or to control people so that they can have something over them. But if our goal has changed from that, I want the kingdom of God to be revealed in it. And like when you were talking about the Lakota guy and he goes to the church and all he finds is the regulations, the laws, it, 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 the, the church had worked in reverse. They had gone from that heart relationship with God to a list of laws. And he's like, I can't find, you know, I, I can't encounter God as myself here. I can try to become someone else and, yeah. and pretend something, or I can go out looking for it. And Paul says a scary thing, especially for, you know, in the church, you want control, you want decency. you want. I, it was for freedom that he set us free. He goes in further, everything is permissible for me. 
And he qualifies it. Not everything is beneficial, but everything is permissible. Yeah. God took away my sin. I'm innocent, like Adam and Eve and Eden. So I can do whatever I want, but being conscious of that one who set me free and not wanting to return back into bondage and look, setting my eyes on something higher, I want to encounter the heart of God. I'm going to work out this path to him in my heart and not rely on regulations, not rely on the rules set by a church, but I'm going to find him as who I am and and let him reveal to me in my culture and my identity what is right and comes from God and what is wrong and needs to be discarded.